Well, we've been walking through the Gospels. We spent some time in Matthew talking about the beginning of uh, Christ's ministry, his baptism. We talked about uh, that moment when he called those to follow alongside. We moved to the book of Mark where we spent time talking about the miracles that he performed. We looked at the feeding of the 4,000. Then we moved last week into Luke chapter 15 where we talked about uh, the, the parables that he shared about what Jesus spoke and, and the rejoicing that takes place when even one person comes to Christ. Today we're going to move into to the book of John. Now, the Gospels, while all four are kind of very much connected, very closely interwoven uh, in their message, they're not exactly alike. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. In other words, they're kind of like talking about how they're kind of locked together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are kind of in a chronological sense. They tell the story of what Jesus said and what Jesus did during this time here on earth. And you can even go and find harmony of the Synoptic Gospels, books that, that will kind of tell the story from all three perspectives and put it into one narrative so you can see in a chronological sense what that looks like. Now, while Matthew, Mark, and Luke are Gospels that, again, are, are told the story in, the, in a chronological sense, the book of John is, is a little bit different. In fact, it's actually more than a little bit different. It's a whole lot different. In fact, 90% of what you find in the book of John, you do not find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's a totally different picture, a totally different story. And so while the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are kind of told in a chronological sense, John is told in a theological sense. To kind of give us a picture, not of what Jesus said and what he did, but rather who Jesus is. The theology of the fact of God becoming man. And that's what we find in the book of John. And so as we've been walking through these last three weeks, talking through like the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, today we're going to talk about the purpose of Jesus. Like, like why is it that Jesus is even here? What's the point behind what he did? And that really is what the book of John is all about. When John, the beloved disciple, wrote these words, he wrote these words to give us a picture of who Jesus is in a theological standpoint. And so today, that's what we're going to spend some time talking about. Now, to set the stage, before we jump into the passage in John chapter 12, you've got to recognize now, so in John chapter 11, you read where Jesus uh, rose Lazarus from the dead, right? He called him out of the grave, Lazarus come forth, Jesus, uh, Lazarus who was dead, walked out of there alive, which by the way... If you were there, that was kind of a big deal, don't you think? Like kind of a shocking moment when somebody who was once dead, who now is alive, that's a big deal, right? And so then you move into John chapter 12, and John chapter 12, Jesus is going to a dinner party at guess whose house? At Lazarus' house. He's going and they're having a dinner party. So it's not like they're just grabbing pizza on a Tuesday night, like watching a game or something like that. Like it's a big deal. Lazarus was dead. And not only was he dead, the Bible even said he was dead and he stunk. And now here he is, he's alive and he's hosting a dinner party and Jesus comes to the party. And so Jesus is there, they're having dinner together. This is the same dinner party where, uh, where they came and they anointed the feet of Jesus and, and the disciples were kind of upset about that saying, man, listen, we could have used that money from that perfume and, and we could have reached a lot of people. We could have done some great things. And Jesus said, ah, just take a break, take a breather. Everything's good because there's an opportunity. You're going to have plenty of opportunity to bless, to encourage to help. It's also, John chapter 12, where we read the narrative of how the religious leaders, you know, those wonderful religious leaders, you got to love the religious leaders, don't you? And they, still today, and they came and wanted to kill Lazarus. Like they wanted to destroy him. The guy had just been dead, like 
you know, 12 verses ago, and now they're coming, they want to kill him again. That's, that's not good luck, right? That's not a good thing. And listen, I want to read this to you, bro. It's not part of our passage we're going to study today. But here's why they wanted to kill Lazarus. In John chapter 12, verse 11, it's, uh, for, it's sorry, yeah, verse 11 says, because he was the reason that many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. In other words, they wanted to kill Lazarus because Lazarus had now become the poster boy for Jesus. Like everybody was looking at this guy who was once dead, who now lives, and they're like, hey, I want to know this Jesus. That's a pretty big deal. I would imagine that if you saw somebody who was dead and who now lives, like you want to be the person, you know, friend of the person who actually brought him back to life, right? Because one day, you know, you might start feeling bad if I start getting sick or whatever. Like I want Jesus to come see me in the hospital. Am I right about that? So that's what they wanted to do. And the, the religious leaders wanted to kill him because of it. And so, in this narrative then, uh, they're arriving here. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. In John chapter 12, we read about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, that beginning, that Palm Sunday where he arrived in the last week before he was crucified. He shows up into Jerusalem for the Passover. And that's where we begin our story. That's where we begin learning about the purpose of Jesus. And so we pick it up, John chapter 12, verse 20, listen to what it says. It says, now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. And so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida to Gal- in Galilee, and requested of him, sir, we want to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So, just real quick before we move on. So, they're beginning, Jesus has arrived, they had the whole triumphal entry thing, they threw all the palm branches, Jesus is now in Jerusalem, and it says, some Greeks came up to see Him. Now, when you read in the Scriptures, oftentimes you would read that passage, that statement, and you would just kind of gloss right over it, move right on on, uh, right on into the rest of the story. But I think it's important that we take a moment to figure out, like, the importance of, the significance of that statement, okay? Because again, like, the Passover was a festival for who? Somebody yell at it. Who was it a festival for? The Jews, right? That's, that was a festival for the Jews. They were celebrating and remembering when God had protected them back in Egypt many years ago, right? And so, uh, it was a festival for the Jews, but yet it says here, some Greeks were coming up to the festival. That they had arrived for the festival. Now, these were not Hellenistic Jews. These were not Greek Jews, those who had, had converted over. Like, these were like legitimate Greeks. These were people who were kind of outside of that special group. And so when the Greeks arrived, they went to Philip. And the reason they went to Philip is because Philip, you know, he was a guy who had a Greek name. It says he was from Bethsaida over in Galilee. He had kind of a, maybe a Greek background. He probably spoke Greek. So in other words, they went to Philip because he looked like them, he acted like them, and he talked like them. And so they went to him and said, hey, we want to see Jesus. Now, they just didn't want to like walk by and get a selfie. That was not what they were trying to do. This was not a, a picture of these guys showing up and like, hey, I want to get a picture of this guy that everybody's talking about. No, in fact, when you spend a little time studying that word see, it's a totally different idea, totally different context of what they were saying. Basically, what they were saying is like, hey, we want to meet Jesus, we want to know Jesus. And so people who are outside of the Jewish faith, those who are outside of this protected special class, they arrived and they wanted to see Jesus. And so, in response to that, they went to Philip. Philip went to Andrew. Andrew and Philip then went to Jesus, because they're not sure what to do about this, this whole thing, about these Greeks showing up. And then Jesus began to give probably one of the clearest, most important, most significant narratives of the purpose of why he was here in response to that question of the Greeks. We want to see Jesus. 
And what he gave in response, firstly, was just simply this. He began to explain the importance of his death. Look what it says in verse 23. So Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so right up front, he gives some pretty important theological truths here. So again, the Greeks show up. The Greeks want to see him. They want to meet him. They want to know him. And so Jesus, in response to what Andrew and Philip said to him about these Greeks that had come, the first thing he said, guys, I want you to know the hour has arrived. The moment has come. Now, you remember now, for the last three years of his ministry, he kept talking about what was going to happen. He kept pointing people to the future. He kept pointing people to this moment that was going to come down the road. Now, for the first time, he makes a statement, guys, the hour is here. The moment has come. This is what I'm here for. And he begins to explain the importance, the significance of that statement by saying, listen, if a grain of wheat drops to the ground and dies, it remains there alone. But if it dies, if it's planted in the seed, in the ground, that seed will then blossom and it will produce much fruit. He's speaking in, in a kind of an agricultural tone here because he understands his audience. He understands, you know, they understand that. They know what that looks like. They know that a seed will then produce lots of crops. And so he's saying, listen, I am that seed and I'm going to die. And because I die, it will bring forth much fruit. And he goes on to say that because of that death, that the impact will change everyone. That the opportunities that come through the, the sacrifice that he's willing to make will change and transform your life, not only for here, but for eternity. Go back to the verse uh, in verse uh, 25. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Three times, three times in that verse, you hear the word life, Right? Now, what does the word life mean? Just somebody yell out, what does the word life mean? <laughs> okay, let me help you. How many of you in this room are alive? Raise your hand. That's what life means, right? It means your heart is beating, it means you're breathing, it means you exist, right? So again, what does life mean? It means heart beating, breathing, it means you're not dead, okay? So now, let me ask, what does life mean? You're not dead, right? Heart beating like life, you know, your breath, the whole bit, right? And so again, he goes back to the statement. So the one who loves his heart beating, breathing life will lose it. But, it goes on to say, and the one who hates his life, now here's a second use of the word life. Now, let me ask you a question. What does life mean? The same thing, right? It means like heart beating, I'm breathing, I'm not dead, I'm alive. So twice here he uses the same word. So the one who loves his heart beating, breathing life will lose it. The one who hates his heart beating, breathing life in this world will keep it. Now what he's saying is here, if it's all about you, if all you're focused on is what you can get in the here and now, you will lose your life. In other words, you will not find what you're looking for. You will not find joy. But if you lose your heart 
heart beating, breathing life in this world, then you will gain it. Here's what he's saying. What he's talking about, hey, if you recognize it's not all about you and it's something bigger because of the sacrifice that I'm about to make, the the death that I'm about to experience for you, then he goes on to say that that person will keep it for eternal life. Here's the third use of the word life. So what does life mean? What does life mean? Wrong. You see, in this verse, there's three uses of the word life, but the first two are the exact same word. It's the Greek word suhe, which literally means heart beating, breathing, like you're not dead. But the third use of the word life, here's a totally different word. It's the word zoe, Greek word zoe, which means this, eternal life. So let me read it again. So, If you want to keep your heart beating, breathing life in this world, if you think that's all that's important, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to give up your heart beating, breathing life in this world, then you will keep it for eternity. You see, the significance, the importance of the death of Jesus Christ is this, is because of what I'm about to do, if you would be willing to believe in me, that, hey, this earth is not all that there is. Eternity is yours for the asking. That's a pretty cool meaning, don't you think? A little bit different perspective. And so right out of the gate, he explains the importance of his death. But then he also goes on to explain the purpose of his life. Look what it says in verse 27. So now Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. What should I say, Father, save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour, okay? So, here's what he's saying. He's talking about he's about to die, right? You understand? He's talking about the significance of his death. He's about to die. Say it with me. He's about to? Right? So, in a few days, he will be arrested. He will be beaten. He will be stabbed with a spear. He will have nails thrust into his wrists, into his feet. He will bleed. They will put a crown of thorns onto his head. He will bleed there. They will beat him. And then they will nail him to the tree. And then he will die. And so, here's what he says in response. My heart is troubled. Now, remember, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% So let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you or tell you that this afternoon that someone's going to come up to you and beat you and someone's going to come up to you and stab you and someone's going to come up to you and take a bunch of thorns and stick it down into your flesh on your head and then they're going to nail you to a tree and you're going to die, would you say your heart would be troubled? troubled. I mean, my heart would be troubled too. Jesus is saying from a human perspective what everybody in this room would say, I'm going to die today, I'm going to bleed today, they're going to beat me today, it's not a good day, my heart is troubled. You understand why Jesus is saying this, right? He says, my heart is troubled, so what should I do? Because what would you do if I told you that's going to happen to you today? What would, happen? what would you do? I'm going to tell you the first one. Well, hiding is a good answer. <laughs> Not the answer I'm going for. But here's the answer that I, like, what I would do is God save me, right? Like maybe hide and then say, God save me, right? Then pray. Like he gave us the, the picture of like prayer. Like we would get on our knees before God. God save me. God take care of me. God protect me. God help me. God help me not to go through this. God, Lord, I pray, show up and do a miraculous thing. Save me. I think all of us would pray that prayer, right? So what did Jesus do? My heart is troubled. So what should I do? Father, save me from this hour? Question mark. But then to listen to what Jesus said. But this is why I came. Boy, that's huge. This 
is why I came. It's why I'm here, the purpose of my existence, the reason that I came 33 years ago and was born in that manger in Bethlehem, the reason that I have walked among you, the reason that I taught and I preached and I healed and I I did all the things that I did. I did it for this moment. The hour has come. This is why I am here. You see, Jesus explained the purpose of his life. But then he went on to say in this theological statement in John chapter 12, He explains the victory that's found within his life, the victory found within his actions, why it is that this is such a big deal. Look what it says in verse 28. 28, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. And others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, the voice came not for me but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. In this moment, Jesus said, hey, I'm here to die. It's what I came for. So, Father, as a result, glorify your name in it. And all of a sudden, the clouds rolled back, and this loud, boisterous voice comes from heaven, a thunderous voice, and said, I have glorified my name. He's talking about the fact that Jesus has walked for 33 years. His name was glorified in everything that Jesus did. But then he said, and I will glorify it again in just a few days when Jesus lays down his life. My name will be glorified. When he rises from the grave, my name will be glorified. The people are confused, like, what was that voice? Where did that come from? What's it all about? And Jesus said, oh, that voice, that wasn't for me. That voice was for you. You needed to hear that. Here's why. Because Satan is about to be defeated. That's good news. Oh, and also, if I be lifted up, if I die on that cross in a couple of days, I will draw all men to myself. In other words, salvation is just around the corner. Jesus explains the victory in his death. The Greeks came to meet this guy who had healed. The Greeks came to meet this guy who had taught all of these great messages and lessons. They came to meet the guy who had raised the dead. But they got something more than they were bargaining for. What they got was a picture of how they themselves could be saved through the gift of Jesus Christ. How cool is that? How amazing is that thought? That Jesus explains the victory. Hey, I'm going to die. And man, my heart's troubled because I don't really want to die. But my man, hey, good news. Satan will be defeated and you will have eternal life if I'm lifted up. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about universal salvation. Like he was not talking about, hey, we're all working to the same place. And, you know, we may believe different things, but we're all going to the same place. We're all working to the same place. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, I know that's true because when he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself, you go back to John chapter 3. Now, listen, how many of you know John chapter 3, 16? Raise your hand. All of us know that. How, okay, put your hands up. How many of you know John 3, 14 and 15? Raise your hand. There's one, there's two. Great work, guys. Here's what John 3, 14 and 15 says. It says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, back in the beginning of Jesus' ministry and His teaching, He made it very clear, yeah, 
Just as they raised that serpent up in the wilderness many, many years ago, and everybody who looked on it was healed, everyone who looked upon it was saved, so shall the Son of Man, so shall I be lifted up. And if I am, everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. What a powerful statement. Victory in the death of Jesus. But you know, while he talked about the importance of his death, and while he talked about the purpose of his life, and while he talked about the victory that's found in both, the last statement that he gave to the Greeks and to all of those who were gathered there was just simply this. He wanted to make sure they understood that there was a response that was needed. A response that was needed from everyone. Look what it says in this passage in verse 34. Then the crowd replied to him, we've heard this from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? And who is the Son of Man? And Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so the darkness does not overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. In other words, what he said, what the people said is like, hey, what do you mean you're going to die? This doesn't make sense because the Messiah from the Old Testament, he's like, he's going to be here forever. So what do you mean you're going to die? What do you talk about the son? Who is the son of man? And then Jesus kind of changes the narrative to say, listen, I am that man. I am that life. I am that light, as he says here. And he uses that phrase to say that that walk in the light because darkness always leads to destruction. And so when you walk in the light, you'll never be in the darkness. But then he says in an important statement, but while you still have the light with you, believe in the light. Now for them, Jesus was about to go to the cross and he would be crucified and And he would be buried, and three days later he would rise again, and then a few days after that he would ascend into heaven. But Jesus wasn't talking about, hey, just for that moment, just for those few days that are yet ahead while I'm still here. What he was talking about is what he referenced in John chapter 14 when he spoke to to, to his disciples that same week, and a couple of chapters after this one where he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. You see, what Jesus was saying, hey, one day I'm going to come again. And when I come again, just so you know, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that one day Jesus is going to return. And what Jesus is saying here, making it as clear as he possibly can, while there's time, believe. While there's time, believe. While there is time, believe. What we've got to recognize, every person in this room, We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised this afternoon. On Thursday, 159 people went to bed. They closed their computers after maybe looking at the news, watching what's going on in the world. They sent their last texts to their loved ones, to their friends, to say, hey, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'll meet you tomorrow for lunch. 
Have a great night. Thinking about you. Love you. They plug their phones in so they'd be charged for the day that would start in just a few hours when they awake. They turned the lights off and they went to sleep. And then at 1.30 in the morning, the unthinkable, the unimaginable happened. And we all saw the horror and the tragedy of a 12-story building full of people who were just waiting until the next day arrived, where in an instant, in a moment, that building ceased to exist. We don't know how many people have died in that horrible tragedy, but I can guarantee you every single one of them thought they were going to wake up the next morning. The Bible says it's appointed unto man, unto women, once to die, every one of us. We're not promised today, we're not promised tomorrow, we're not promised next week. And so what Jesus is saying clearly, passionately, while there's time, believe. While there's time, believe. I believe that there are some people in this room, there are some people watching, listening right now, that you think you've got time. Maybe you've been in this church a thousand times, maybe this is the first time. But yet, like all of us, we think there's time. And what I want you to know, what is very clear, you're not promised time. All that you're promised is that if you believe in Jesus while you are still here, then we have the promise and the hope of heaven for eternity, eternal life. And if you're here today or watching today and you've never made that decision, you've never said, I believe that Jesus is God's son. I believe that he died and that he rose again for me. I know I need a savior. He's the only one that can save me. If you've never done that, let me just tell you, this is the time. Not tomorrow. This is the time. Right now, this is the moment. There's no waiting. There's no, oh, I'll do it later. There's no, hey, I'll get to it when I've got an opportunity next week. No, this is the time for you. Father, today I pray for every person gathered in this room, for those watching, those listening. I know that there are people listening to my voice right now that have never come to that moment where they've said, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. I believe Jesus is the one who came to save me. I believe that he's your son. I believe that he died and that he rose again. So save me today through your son, Jesus. There are people listening to my voice right now, Father, I know that have never done that. But I pray in this moment, they will. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, I pray that God's word today has made it abundantly clear the importance of what we've talked about. And if you're that person that today is sitting here who's never actually made that affirmative statement, believing with all of your heart, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer, and I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray it silently wherever you are, praying, asking God to do exactly what he wants to do, the reason that he came, the purpose of Jesus what he wants to do for you today. I'm just going to ask you to pray this prayer silently with me right now. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I believe Jesus is that Savior. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died and that he rose again. So today, forgive me of my sins. Save me today through your son, Jesus. And help me to live for you for the rest of my life. Thank you, God, for saving me. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, with no one looking around. If you prayed that prayer just now with me and you meant it from your heart to God's, you meant it, you prayed it, you meant it, with no one looking around, I just want you to slip your hand up right now so I can see it. No one else, just me. I want you to slip your hand up right now. Wherever you are in the room, I see one, two, three, four. Just raise your hand up. If you prayed that prayer, I meant it. Five. Any in the balcony? Now listen, for those five or six that just raised your hands, here's what I want you to do. In a moment, we're going to end the service. We're all going to leave. But when we leave, our team is gathered here at the front. They're all going to be here. And what I want you to do is while people are walking one way, I want you to walk another. And I want you to come down to this altar and talk with one of our team members because we'd love to talk with you about the decision that you just made. We have a booklet. It's aptly entitled, Start. How to get started right in your walk with Christ. They'd love to give you that book free of charge just to help you begin this journey walking with God. Maybe if you're here and you want to come for another reason, you want to come for some counsel, maybe you want to come and pray, come pray for a family member, maybe you want to come and join our church, come for baptism. Maybe you just want to come down and just like be encouraged, talk about life groups, whatever that might be. When we leave, our team is here. We'd love to talk with you. I'm just going to encourage you to come down, to come to this altar. Father, thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you for the lives that you've changed, the lives that you've saved. Thank you that Jesus did what he did. And Father, as we leave this place today, encourage us, strengthen us, use us to point people to you. And Father, for that, we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, as everyone's leaving, I want you to come down and talk with our team. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.